The following is a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management. Good day and welcome to another edition of Business Sense Radio with your host, Edward King. Every week, Edward brings you interesting people with conversations and topics that you won't hear anywhere else. And now, here's your host, Edward King. Thank you very much, Mark. You know, before we introduce today's special guest, I just want to share this thought. You know, it's interesting that I hear a lot of people talk about strategy and business, but I also hear people talk about strategy and sports. The other day, I was asked to watch two doubles tennis teams that wanted to improve their game. Now, just for the history for our listeners, um, for about 15 years, I played competitive tennis, singles and doubles, and um, was had the good fortune of being ranked number one in states like California, Arizona, and Nevada, but that was when I was a younger man. And watching these double teams, um, it was basically that they struggle to win matches, and pretty much often they don't even win at all. But after watching them play for two hours, they asked me what I thought. So I gave them only one suggestion, I said, hit the ball in, and they laughed. There were a few other things that I could have shared, but I didn't because they weren't ready yet. So here's the deal. If you can't can't do the first thing, hit the ball consistently in, everything else doesn't matter. I know that's obvious, and it was to them too, but they just weren't doing it. In business, I see much of the same thing. A while ago, I was asked to visit an engineering business and, and help them out. The owner had spent all of his time telling me how great their project management software was because they had designed it and how much time they spent doing it. They were leaders in their industry, clients loved them, and so on and so forth. So they had a very good representation in the industry, but they always seemed to be struggling and wanted to know how to improve, but they wanted to know how to improve their project management software. And, I, and just as a hint, that was the wrong focus. After spending time with them, I asked them how profitable each project was. And that they couldn't say. So here's the first lesson. First things first, hit the ball in. Both are examples of what I call staring at the blue sky but not paying attention to the ground beneath your feet. Businesses are so focused on the outside of their business that they oftentimes miss the issues inside their organization. I know we live in challenging times and we're surrounded by boogeymen. We have inflation to deal with, supply chain issues, hard to find good staff even, and the list goes on and on from there. But that doesn't mean that we need to panic. No, not at all. And realize and think and hold on to this thought, this battle is winnable. But first, you have to understand that businesses run by people, not your products and not your services. And without people, all the good that you could do won't happen. And your battle, the battle with the business on the outside of your walls, is won by your people. So start with your team. Train them right. Make sure their fundamentals are solid. And then they'll be able to get the job done. Of course, all businesses have internal training and policies and procedures and all the onboarding that you need to do, but there's more to it. 
They should be going to management classes, emotional intelligence, communication skills. They should be going to software classes, learning and getting to the next step in Excel, which is a key tool in all businesses today. You should learn how to use Outlook for time management. And in addition to that, you need to take control of your data with things like Access, Excel dashboards, Power BI, Tableau. And along with people, you need to know the numbers. Businesses are run on cash. Take, Take care of your cash. Beware of your future liabilities. So project out your cash so you don't get surprised or caught off guard. And this is true about your personal finances. So keep that in mind as well. So do the first thing first. Keep your eye on the ball. And remember, when your head is in the clouds, your eyes are not pointed at the ground beneath your feet. So now I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Matt Beliso. He is the Major Gifts Officer for the Heartland Institute, which is a national free market think tank. You know, earlier this year, we had on our program two other members. It was two separate shows from the Heartland Institute. You might remember we had Sterling Bennett. He is the director of Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. And we had a great discussion at the time about the environmental cost and impact of EVs, electric vehicles, as well as we moved into a second topic, which was the SEC's new climate proposals, commonly known as ESG. And ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Another member that we had from the Heartland Institute was Justin Haskins, who was the director of Socialism Research Center and the author of an an amazing book that I suggest you should read. It's called The Great Reset. Along with Glenn Beck, the book tackles the real story about what is happening to America and the world at large, actually. And the frank bottom line is we're never going to be the same. So now I'd like to get right back to our guest. Matt, I want to say welcome to our program. Thank you so much for having me, Edward. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Matt, thank you. And um, so not only do I want to hear what the Heartland Institute is working on, why don't you tell us about, like, give us the big picture. Who is the Heartland Institute? Sure. So um, our mission statement is, you know, we exist to discover, develop, and promote free market solutions to social and economic problems. Mm -hmm. So what this means is... Um, you know, we have a couple different angles how we approach, um, you know, attacking this mission. We do a lot of writing. Um, we have scientists, um, policy analysts, um, probably hundreds of folks that that write for us um, over the course of the year. And we go and get op-eds written out, get in the media, discussing these these different issues. But in addition to that, you know, the media side, we have a government relations team that actually educates legislators um, from the state side to the federal side um, on these issues that they're working on. And as you mentioned, ESGs, um, this has been a big issue in the state governments this year. Hmm. Um, and what's very interesting about it is... Um. A lot of these state legislators weren't too familiar with what ESGs were. So being able to go and educate some of these legislators, give them some research and analysis to help them make decisions. Yeah. So we'll get to that part because that's a really deep, deep well to go into. What can you tell us about the history of the Institute? Where did it come from? What what got it started? How long has it been around? Sure. So Joe Bast uh, is our founder. Um, He founded the organization in 1984, uh, funny enough. And he essentially, the, the, the purpose of this organization was really to fill uh, this niche role of focusing heavy on state policy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have Cato Institute, Heritage Institute, a lot of different organizations that <clears throat> focus more on federal issues, and they're all great organizations. Um, 
1984, Joe Best saw that there was a bit of a gap where we did not have a state-based think tank with a national reach. Um, there are some tremendous partners that we have that um, are state-based think tanks in a specific you know, state, um, just focusing there. So being able to go and have a reach of all 50 states to be able to share some of the successes of some of the legislators, what people are doing in Florida, what's working there, mm-hmm. being able to have legislative forums to share you know, these successes and these ideas with state legislators in other states has been um, a really cool thing to go and add, I think, to the conservative movement. Yeah. So uh, what, what year was that that the Heartland got given birth to? 1984. 1984. So what was going on at the state? You probably weren't alive at that point, but... I was not. <laughs> in 1984, maybe it's in, in your historical records there at the Institute. What, what prompted them? Because, you know, what you're sharing is a very important idea that I'd, I'm really pleased that you brought up because what's going on at, inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C. is important to all of us, but more important to us, and we can't. L- have our eyes miss this is that what's happening within our county and what's happening within our state mm-hmm. has a more direct impact on our day-to-day living so there must have been something in 1984 that um you know prompted this and maybe if you can't answer that question now we can you know kind of chew on it for later but um i could take a hack at it all right go for it so obviously i was not alive uh, just yet uh, I was born in 93. Um, however, let's look, take a look at the 80s. You know, having Reagan as the president, yeah. you know, I get the sense that what was seen then was we have a, we had a president at the time um, that was obviously more right-leaning, more um, against a bloated federal government. Mm-hmm. And when you have an actor like that um, in place, um, that's advocating for these libertarian conservative ideas, you know, what conservatism, conservative, uh, excuse me, conservatism and libertarianism advocates for is for more state rights. So upon Reagan's success of being able to bring um, the federal government's size and scope down and have the states have a little bit more of a say in how their populace is governed, Someone's got to be working on those issues because guess what? Look what happened with California. California got a little bit out of hand over the years. And it's a great idea to have a smaller federal government, but it's very important that the state does not have overreach any more than the federal government does. So I would imagine, you know, in that Reagan era where folks were talking more about state control as opposed to federal, um, we saw a need that needed to be filled of making sure that we have um, good policies at that state level where yeah. things should be managed. Another thing I like about the Heartland Institute is it is truly a nonpartisan. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, because in essence, what's going on in today's polarization with the parties is, you know, it's it's a tug of war, but they're at two far ends of the rope. There, there isn't anybody actually facing each other eye to eye and actually trying to work through issues. So having a nonpartisan position allows people to hear the facts without a strong leaning bias to the right or to the left. Now, would you say that the heartland is living up to that? 
Absolutely. You know, we're, we're committed to fact. We're committed to, to what is being seen. And, you know, we have a lot of times with politicians with uh, ulterior motives, no matter what the facts are, they will have this uh, defense of their side, regardless. Yeah. I mean, the Biden administration, Republicans, both, you know, if there is something that was wrong, um, that they've advocated for, if they've made a mistake, it, it's always shifting blame on the other side, mm-hmm. never really taking responsibility for their own, their own you know, decisions or actions. So what's great about what we do and what a lot of uh, think tanks do is we are strictly fact-based. You know, if we were to get something wrong, we would own up to it. Yeah. Um, but we're really committed to, to the science, the reality of what we, what we see. Right. Now, I understand that the Heartland Institute focuses on a, a pretty broad variety of issues. I know, you know, education being one of them. Uh, I know that with the environmental protection being another one, mm-hmm. I know that my time with um, Sterling certainly did focus on the environmental. And as I had mentioned earlier in the program, how we had talked about EVs, electric vehicles, and the uh, environmental impact. Mm-hmm. And what was great about it, it wasn't just this hit piece on EVs. It was, you know, let's see what the problems are, like pollution in Africa and, you know, the impact and the cost of, of um, you know, digging up these things like the lithium and so forth. But it was, let's find a solution for it. So it wasn't just this, this hammer and slam it. Other issues that I've seen uh, coming out of your organization is relevant to healthcare, certainly taxes with the old budget. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality about stopping socialism is, is not a bias to the right, you know, argument or, or discussion, because the reality is it's in opposition of the founding of America. Mm-hmm. opposition to the success of America because if you align these two political movements socialism and capitalism or the American way you can actually record and look at the set level of the success of socialism like Venezuela what we see in Russia and have over and over again with the Soviet Union and compare it to the freedoms and the successes of the individual within the American um, processes, I think stopping socialism is a very reasonable thing to do for not only our, ourselves today, but our children and our grandchildren, so generation after generation. Now, before we get into the deep part here, I, I understand that you have a thing called the Heartland Liberty Prize. Is that still going on? I'm sure COVID had some disruption on the party. Yep. So we um, awarded James O'Keefe last year um, with uh, Project Veritas. He was the uh, most recent winner, but we do that every year in the fall. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think back to some of the previous winners. Um, I know that I think I saw one with uh, Glenn Beck. Wasn't he a recipient of this a couple of years ago? He absolutely was. So um, Glenn Beck, it's the relationship we have with him is, is really, it's really neat. Uh, You know, between writing that book with him and later on, I'll discuss uh, another event we've done recently with him with uh, state legislators down in Dallas. Uh, But he's been, I mean, he's been so good on so many issues for so long. 
Yeah. And being able to go and have him on our side has really been a tremendous benefit for us. Okay. So before we get into all that fun stuff, I just want to mention a couple of things. So the website that you have is the heartland.org. So it's just heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D.org, the website. It really is a wonderful website. If you go on there, you can go into their news section, which literally has un- that unbiased information that I talked about. It talks about news, but it gives you in-depth analysis covering Topics that are very important to us, meaningful things, the energy being one that I'm concerned about, Mm -hmm. school reforms, another one, and the stuff that's going on right under our noses that people are just glossing over. Healthcare issues, which since the Obama dust up that we had for a number of years, healthcare other than with the COVID uh, is kind of gone off a lot of people's radar, but budget and tax issues and, of course, the climate what kind of opportunities do uh, young people moving up into maybe graduating from college? Are there like internships or even careers along with the Heartland Institute? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we do um, internships, um, of course, in our office in Arlington Heights, Illinois, just out of Chicago. Um, and yeah, if you hop on the website, you'll be able to go and, um, you know, find opportunities there. Um I think summer internships um, have already began, but this is a great time to go and get ahead and try to get applications in for the fall for sure. Okay. 100%. And like you mentioned, so we have the main Heartland website. Yes. Heartland.org. And then we also have a couple other websites. And I apologize if I was interrupting. No. Um, So we have climateataglance.com, which is an amazing website. We have, um, it's kind of short cut articles with data analysis on, you know, the uh, climate issue. Mm -hmm. Then we have climaterealism.com in which we daily post rebuttals to climate alarmism claims Mm. um, on that website, climaterealism.com. And then lastly, we just launched Stopping Socialism. We added them as our uh, fifth policy center. And Stopping Socialism, this website is very cool. If you are interested in hearing more about the history of socialism, uh, some of this, the things that are happening in this country to continue this, um, uh, you know, path towards socialism, mm-hmm. um, you can really learn a lot from the historical component as well as, you know, really the direction we're going in with some of these policies we're doing on StoppingSocialism.com. Right. And for our listeners, in case you missed any of those websites, we'll repeat them later on in the show. Now, Matt... Now that we've got kind of the background that we've talked about, what what are some of the current issues that the Heartland Institute is working on? So I think to best answer that, you know, how we operate is really neat. So from our government uh, relations team, I want to give kind of a little bit of a zoomed out um, explanation as to kind of how they work. It's very neat. Mm -hmm. So Heartland Institute, we use a, a vendor uh, that allows us to track policy as it's rising up through committees um, as, as local as the state level. So we're, we'll plug in keywords that relate to, you know, our policy centers or areas of interest for us that we have expertise on that we can go and, um, you know, be influential in. And once these issues ping in certain states, you know, for ESGs, for example, which have been heavily on the rise, um, and state governments all across the country this year. We'll go and see the ESG ping happen that people are speaking about 
this issue in a certain state. And then we will go and testify mm-hmm. um, on the issue. Um, we will flood the state legislators with research and analysis on the issue. We don't necessarily speak about the bill you know, specifically, but we will talk about the issue um, and give them that research and analysis so that when they get to the committees and they are debating these issues, yeah. you know, the folks that are on our side, we give them research and analysis to make a better argument in the committees. The folks that are kind of in the middle, they're able to go and sift through this information and make a better decision as a policymaker. Yeah. And the folks on the other side that disagree with us, and no matter what we send them, they will disagree with us. They throw it in the trash and hopefully they recycle and live by their standards. But, um, you know, so that's kind of an overview of kind of how our organization operates from the government relations side. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the issues that we've seen, like I mentioned, ESGs. So um, I know that you've covered ESGs um, on this show in the past. Um, but what we've seen with the mandates that a lot of these state governments are trying to do, um, it's really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you were to mandate and have a formal score for companies based off of their environment, social and corporate governance standards, I mean, this is a social credit system for corporations, um, essentially, is, is what this is. Yeah. So just as a reminder for our audience to just talk a little bit about what ESG actually looks like. So at the, um, at the bigger picture, the, the federal level, we have the Securities Exchange Commission, who literally in the past, their job was to um, protect the investors, and in essence, keep the corporations and, you know, the backroom dealings uh, at the minimum so that when investors were working and buying into the stock market, that there was a confidence that the information that was being produced in 10K, 10Qs was legitimate. Now, what the SEC has all of a sudden moved into which is what the ESG matrix or credit score, as you might think of it, it's become a political weapon because what they're doing with this is they're causing companies to refocus their business focus on climate issues and climate goals. And in essence, as opposed to what the investors would be looking for if they're investing in stock, which would be profits and longevity of the business, their whole focus now is to go, well, you have climate goals that you need to adopt, which includes you know, things like emissions, and they're going to be subject to government goals and deadlines to achieve them. And you have to, as a company, report all that information along with, you know, how the goals will be met, when their goals are met. And then you also have to report on your vendors and your suppliers down channel, which Mm -hmm. could be suppliers and vendors outside of even the United States. So it's a, if you think of it as a, a mechanism to reach into the gut of a corporation and take control with this, um, almost like reins with a horse, you're preventing from the federal level, the SEC, whose job has never been to get themselves that deeply involved in the direction of a company and and manipulating it through social credit, and in this case, the ESG matrix. But we're going to need to take a break right now. So, uh, Matt, hold that thought, 
and we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. You're listening to Business Sense Radio, and we will be right back. You're going to Freedom Fest, right? Largest gathering of free minds happening in Vegas. July 13th through 16th, join other Liberty folks for four days of fun. See the Global Financial Summit for Investing, Subversion Summit for Liberation through Innovation, Eureka Summit to Transform Your Small Business, Anthem Film Festival, Comedy Fest, John Cleese, and Fox Business's Kennedy. Visit FreedomFest.com, use discount code BIZ50, B-I-Z-50, for 50 bucks off tickets. Claim your seat now at FreedomFest.com. Is your job going nowhere? Could life be better? Then take control of your career and invest in yourself. Alliance Career Training Schools is the place for real-life career training at low or no cost to you. Visit our schools at 333 Abbott Street. Call to register for classes today. Start your new career in accounting, IT, or general office. Get a job you love doing. Join the world of success. Call Alliance Career Training at 755-8200 or online at alliancetrains.com. All right, we're back and you're listening to Business Sense Radio and we have a very special guest today, Matt, with the Heartland Institute. And Matt, go ahead and tell us all about what the Heartland is doing with this ESG, especially at the state level. And are there some states that you uh, have more of an impact in? And are there any states like the state of California that has got this big barrier and you aren't able to even reach in there because they're all far leftists. So it's, it's tough. You know, it, how we kind of view the you California's and the New York's um, it's really more defense that we play there. Yeah. Um, and we do our best, but you know, there are certain numbers, you know, when you have such a, such a strong majority of folks who, um, you know, really want to push for these ESG type, policies and like your home state of California there, um, you know, with uh, what Newsom's done with this plan to rid the state of selling combustible engine cars by 2035. This is, this is what they want. I mean, this is, this is what they are all in unison about. And if they do not fall in line with this, you know, they're going to get voted out of office. They're going to be called, uh, you know, they're going to be called all kinds of names defamed. So, when you go and have an electorate like this, it's it's kind of tough, um, you know, how we're able to go and operate. But we found a very strong um, strategy in really going and identifying states based off of, you know, who are the legislators there? Are we going to be playing defense or offense? And it depends on the issue, you know, kind of what states. There's a couple swing states that, you know, can kind of go back and forth with. Um, but... We have had tremendous success on ESGs this year, you know, as these mandates um, have risen, we've seen all these pop up in a lot of states we're operating in, I think, 32 states currently across the country. Good. We're, we're engaging with state legislators. We're testifying, you know, in front of these committees. We're submitting testimonies. We did that over, I think it was just short of 60 times this year. Mm-hmm. We have testified in person or submitted testimony to, you know, state governments mm-hmm. um, on this issue alone, which is amazing. So what about the state of Washington? What's, what's the opportunity there? Yeah. So, you know, when we have such a wide reach, um, you know, Washington, I think is one of the states that actually, I don't think there is ESG talk happening in Washington state, if I am not mistaken. Um, But each state, you really got to find the opportunity. You know, we've got relationships with state legislators, 
in every state across the country. Mm-hmm. And what we kind of do is they've got a sense for, you know, what's happening at that local level. So as much as we would love to advocate for, you know, uh, anti-ESG mandate legislation in all 50 states, um, you know, state legislatures will know what's going on on the ground. So we'll talk with them, you know, what is it your state needs to stay free or to work towards being more free? Um so we often ask a lot of questions with state legislators and we learn from them, you know, what, what do you think this state is ready for? Mm-hmm. Um, so each state's very different on, on uh, you know, what they're ready for, what they want, and we kind of help facilitate moving in the right direction. Okay. So what's the Heartlands Institute uh, stance on ESGs? Uh, they're terrible, Edward, to put, to put it uh, bluntly, they're yeah. horrifying really is what they are. So as you mentioned, um, you know, being your brother's keeper and having to go and keep track of your entire supply chain um, and their ESG scores, if this was to be implemented, that is an exceptionally costly project. And really, it would hurt small businesses disproportionately. You know, these big corporations, they can afford to, you know, track these things. They can afford to have higher levels of um, oversight on these certain things. But small businesses, if you're, if you, get lucky and you, you get a contract with a big company, you're going to get cut out if you're not tracking your ESG scores. And that's really sad to see. Um, but even further than that, I mean, we've seen proposals, you know, people that are trying to go and take access to lending away from folks who would score poorly on these ESG scores. They're trying to take away access to bank accounts if you score poorly um, on these ESG scores. So this is a this is an issue that I think in the next couple of years is going to be one that we're talking a lot about a lot more than we are from a public discourse standpoint. You know, folks who know know how scary and detrimental this is to the individual. Um, and then folks who learn about it, it quickly becomes an issue they talk about a lot more. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately it's it's very much under wraps um, in public discourse today. Well, you know, what something that you mentioned kind of just briefly, I, I want to bring up and, and reiterate is that the just like an individual, you and me and Mark and everybody else that I know, we all have our credit scores. And the credit scores are based on our credit worthiness, our ability to pay our bills. And, and it's managed in a, in a way that actually is beneficial for the people borrowing money because it's kind of a preventative measure for overborrowing, even though it's very loose and it doesn't always work. People get in trouble all the time. But in regards to the ESG, what we're talking about is the hammer that they're using with banking. Because what's going on and what, what Matt just said was that <clears throat> businesses won't have access to bank lending funding if they are determined by a remote party, meaning the SEC or whoever's managing these scores, and saying that because you have the wrong air conditioning units in your buildings because Mm -hmm. you're not, you know, minimizing your carbon footprint. We're going to prevent you from doing business because just as I opened up with this today's program, cash is king and a business can't operate it. Now what that doesn't translate well for is the employees and the workers in the business Mm -hmm. 
who will be losing their jobs. Now, you also said that corporations, big corporations, I used to be a CFO of a the, one of the, the largest spice company in the world. Well, you know, we don't have a lot of money in the sense that we can't just throw things down the drain. And when costs increase, we have to pass those costs down to the consumer. So anytime that these corporations, large or small, are going to be impacted by additional burdens of regulations and reporting and and digging into other companies, it's going to cost money. Mm -hmm. People that always pay for it, Matt, is you and me. Absolutely right. So um, tell us more about the ESGs. Yeah, so what our plan here, um, you know, our, our four main goals uh, for ESG from a, a governance standpoint um, is to defeat legislation that coerces ESG compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, two is to promote legislation that bans the abuse of ESGs in finance. Uh, then we want to promote state pension divestment from pro-ESG firms um, through state treasury departments as well. We've seen in West Virginia, the state treasurer actually took unilateral action because it was in their charter, they were allowed to do so. Um, you know, to, you know, have a state mandate to divest from these firms. Um, then also through legislation, um, we want, we, we've, that's where we found the most success so far. Um, then fourth, we want to publicly, publicly expose, you know, how dire of a threat ESG scores are, um, and how this radical environmentalism, um, is so detrimental to the individual liberties, um, of, of all of us. You know, it's funny, just kind of looking at, what the future may hold. Um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we um, wrote the book on the great reset with Glenn Beck and a lot of what we talk about is coming from the world economic forum. Mm -hmm. And they just had their event in Switzerland just a few weeks ago. And one of the speakers there um, were talking about being able to have the technology. They said they're very close to have the technology to track individuals, carbon footprint, now, that is something on, on the surface, if this is something that's important to you, seems yes. like a cool technology to go and have to see, oh, you know, if this is, if you think uh, plant food is a pollutant, then uh, you can uh, make the effort to, you know, um, contribute less CO2. But where this could potentially go, a technology like that, you know, the VM word mandates, you know, if we have this technology available, I think, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, if it's possible that we're having a conversation is, should this be included in individuals, like you said, with the credit scores, mm-hmm. are we going to go down that route? And is that going to be involved in it? So it's uh, it's a very scary issue, uh, these ESGs. Luckily, like I said, we've found a lot of success um, pushing back. So West Virginia, uh, the state treasurer took unilateral action there. But in Kentucky, Tennessee, Oklahoma, and we're right in the finish line in New Hampshire, we've had bills passed, signed into law, um, that really prevents that ESG mandates from happening. So it's divestment bills. You know, the state gov- uh, the state um, government won't be doing business with um, you know these companies that abuse ESGs in finance. So it allows you to uh, be confident that you're going to invest your funds into your retirement based off of financial performance and not um, 
you know, all these social issues. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that West Virginia, unless I got this wrong. So West Virginia is pursuing ESGs. Is, is that what you're telling me? Because what they're doing is they're, they're holding the purse strings of the pension fund. Right. So what they've actually done is they, they didn't pursue mandates as far as I'm aware, but they did take, um, the treasurer did take action to um, uh, prevent ESG mandates from being implemented, okay. uh, which is a, which is a great decision. Good. Okay. Yep. Good. 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 So, um, you had mentioned how many states that you guys are working with? Um, it's just over thirty. I think thirty-two was the last count I had. It's possible that's gone up since. Okay. And are they primarily the East Coast or? Central America, or, or are they really equally spread out across all of our 50 states? Um, it's, it's pretty spread, spread apart, I would say. Mm-hmm. So um, Texas, uh, we're, we're going to be doing some work in Texas when their um, uh, state legislature opens back up in 2023. They're, every other year they're open, so there was nothing going on this year. Um, but... You know, like I mentioned, so how, how we're kind of viewing this map is, you know, so based on, you know, what's going on in these states. Are we playing defense? Are we playing offense? Um, you know, just last year or just this year um, in New Mexico and Virginia and Vermont, so three states, we've actually uh, defeated pro ESG mandate bills that were that rate rose up and went to a vote um, you know in their state legislatures huh. which is a tremendous win that is a tremendous win Virginia you know with Glenn Youngkin that's my current home state I don't think he would have signed a bill if it was to get passed um, but defeating the legislature um, is always you know a, uh, a big win so um, those are some states that have uh, proposed this that we've defeated um, I would say middle America is is pretty popular issue there um, you know, the Rust Belt is, you know, very friendly towards us, um, obviously, on this issue. Um, but, yeah, it's really kind of all over the place. California, you know, they've already proposed um, having ESG mandates. Um, as far as I have last seen, it, nothing's been signed into law yet. Um, but, unfortunately, with um, the folks that are policymakers over in California, I think it's likely a matter of time. Yeah. So your website, heartland.org, does it have information for our listeners today that they can look up ESGs and at least find out what, what the heck is an ESG in terms of how does it impact uh, businesses which directly impact us? What kind of information does your website have? Yeah, absolutely. So um, anybody, listeners can go to heartland.org slash ESG slash ESG. Mm-hmm. And we have um, at this URL, a full um, terms, you know, really understanding what the ESG term is, what a lot of the things that they're trying to go and advocate for is. Um, so you get a really, really good breakdown of what ESGs are, as well as um, a lot of our recent testimonies. We actually have links um, to our statements in testimonies um, below that on that same page as well. Um, we have a map, um, that we are going to be updating here shortly. We've worked in more States than we have currently on this map. Um, but you get to see a map of where we're working, what the specific issue is that we're working in those States. Um, 
And this is, I would say, probably one of the best resources you could have to better understand the issue, you know, see what we are working on um, to advocate for, you know, the individual against the ESG mandates. Um, and again, that's heartland.org slash ESG slash ESG. Yeah. Repetitive. Great. Okay. So what we need to do is we need to take another quick break for our sponsors. You're all listening to Business Sense Radio, and we will be right back. You're going to Freedom Fest, right? Largest gathering of free minds happening in Vegas. July 13th through 16th, join other Liberty folks for four days of fun. See the Global Financial Summit for Investing, Subversion Summit for Liberation through Innovation, Eureka Summit to Transform Your Small Business, Anthem Film Festival, Comedy Fest, John Cleese, and Fox Business's Kennedy. Visit FreedomFest.com. Use discount code BIZ50, B-I-Z-50, for 50 bucks off tickets. Claim your seat now at FreedomFest.com. Is your job going nowhere? Could life be better? Then take control of your career and invest in yourself. Alliance Career Training Schools is the place for real-life career training at low or no cost to you. Visit our schools at 333 Abbott Street. Call to register for classes today. Start your new career in accounting, IT, or general office. Get a job you love doing. Join the world of success. Call Alliance Career Training at 755-8200 or online at alliancetrains.com. All right, we're back. We're back with Business Sense Radio and our guest from the Heartland Institute, Matt. Now, Matt, there was another issue that you wanted to talk about, and that was climate realism. Now, we've had one of your um, other directors, and we talked a little bit about environment, but you know, things are moving so quickly right now. What, what's the latest of what's going on with um, climate control of the people and the economy? Well, like we're talking about the ESGs, there's so much that's related. What's really interesting, actually, you know, with our five policy centers is they are so intermingled around the issue of socialism. Um, Obviously, we have the Socialism Research Center that we just launched um, last year. But, you know, if we're talking about budget and tax, if we're talking about uh, climate and environment and climate, education, healthcare, you know, all of these issues, you know, socialism, a large component. Um, you know, as to kind of what's being snuck in in the back door, you know, this, you know, we, we call ourselves climate realists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we go and look at these issues and you see what unfortunately has been happening where um, the federal government and a lot of researchers and scientists have been manipulating data, suppressing uh, data on the climate change issue to go and manipulate it to look good and show this hockey stick that we're going in a direction that cannot be reversed. Um, and it's, it's really, um, it's really unethical. It's, it's really sad to see how they've done this. And especially when you look at the models that they create, they, the, you know, I've spoken some, to some folks, I'm not, I don't have a background in, uh, you know, engineering to be able to do, create some of these models. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I spoke with some of our donors who have talked to me about this, that they do have a background in that. And they told me, Matt, if you wanted to go and have a model show something, it is very easy to make it show whatever you want to. And unfortunately, with you know how grant money works, I mean, if you're getting a grant, if you want to do research into the issue, first of all, if you want to do research into the issue of environment and climate, you should not be going in with an agenda. You should be going in saying, I have a hypothesis. I'm going to do everything in my power to prove this hypothesis incorrect. And if I fail to do so, you can make the assumption that maybe, you know, you, you've got something that you found there. 
But how we've seen it is you cannot get money from the federal government to, for a research grant unless you are specifically trying to go and prove climate change is an existential threat or have you know a side on the issue there. Um, so governments, banks, corporations, they are all on the same side on this issue. Um, and really with the climate realism uh, you know, that we talk about, I mean, it all comes down, you know, we could debate the environment all we want to, and we should continue to do so. But the solutions that they are proposing to combat what they are claiming is happening is where we really see a vast difference um, in a lot of folks. So it's interesting. So one last point on this, you know, we've got some donors, some supporters of ours, that are kind of on all sides of this issue, right? I mean, most of them, you know, believe that, you know, man-made impact is not an existential threat. Um, but we actually have some folks who are like, you know what? I'm not really too sure. But what I know is the solutions that the left are proposing um, to combat this are exceptionally overreaching, disproportionate to what, uh, you know, we, we see that's happening. So, um it's really, it's really interesting what's uh, what's going on in this environment debate right now. So, as we were talking with the ESGs, are you focusing on specific states? Because my understanding of the Heartland Institute is they're not just a bunch of talkers; that they're actually progressively out there working with state legislators. And you had just mentioned how well you guys are doing with the ESGs. What what areas are you targeting with climate issues? Yeah, so you know this one is uh, is a tough one. You know, climate is a global issue, mm-hmm. um, and when it comes from a legislative standpoint, you know, ESGs, cap and trade. You know, when we're t- when we're approaching it from the legislative side, you know, that's a lot of the solutions that they have to go and combat this. Um, so when it comes to the issue of climate change itself, uh, the best way we kind of, um, you know, work on this is through climaterealism.com, uh, where we do daily rebuttals, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, to some of these climate alarmist claims. And we also actually just launched, um, a second time, an updated version, 2022 edition of climate at a glance for teachers and students. So we've got little booklets, um, that we actually mail out. We sent a hundred thousand so far this year. We plan on sending more um, later on the year to middle school, high school, and college teachers um, in the science departments. Um, short, easy read, a lot of pictures, easy for, for younger, younger folks to understand. And we really just go and advocate. We talk about in this book, we try to give some, some climate realism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, exposure to them. Cause I mean, in these schools, I mean, there is an indoctrination on this issue. You know, I remember when I was a kid, um, it was right shortly after The Inconvenient Truth came out by Al Gore. That was in my middle school. That was all over the country. And when you're only getting one side of the, this issue and you're, you know, having these younger generations be exposed to one idea, you know, they're, they're going to accept climate alarmism as a fact. And that's going to be impacting us from a um, voting standpoint for years and years to come. So we send these booklets out, um, easy, quick read, a lot of, uh, charts. Um, and we talk about everything from claims about the water levels rising that never happened. Um, you know, more, uh, severe and more frequent, you know, natural disasters, which is not the case if you look from a more historical standpoint. So, um, 
the booklets are great. And uh, yeah, on, cl- on climate environment, that's a big thing that we're doing as well. So it sounds like something that um, families that are homeschooling their children should also have a, access to that. Is it, so it's available to anybody that wants to go on your website and, and pick these up. Yep. So we're actually on Amazon.com. Uh, so these booklets are called Climate at a Glance. I think they cost just about $10. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody, homeschoolers, or even just folks that want to um, see this, I mean, it's kind of designed for children and teachers, but um, it's broken down in a way. If you were looking to get into this issue, this is a great first step. So <clears throat> I know I want to give you a couple of minutes at the end of the program so that we can um, fully explore and, and just share with our listeners about the Heartland Institute. Now, I know that the Heartland Institute is a 501c3, is that correct? Yes, sir. And you survive on donations. And um, is there a channel where people can reach out to the Institute and inquire about how they can financially help the institution? Absolutely. So um, everyone's more than welcome to um, reach out to me directly. Uh, My email is m. D'Alessio, so letter M for Matthew, D-A-L-E-S-I-O at heartland.org. Um, then you can go on their website as well um, and uh, check my, if you, if you didn't get that, you can go on heartland.org and go to About Us. My, my email is listed there. Um, then you can go to heartland.org slash donate if you'd like to contribute. You know, we are going up against trillions and trillions of dollars. Um, you know, in this environment and climate issue. And we are the leading think tank on the planet advocating for climate realism. And we have a budget of about $4.5 million. That is a disproportionate battle that we are fighting. It is a vital battle that we should fight and we're going to continue to fight. Um, But these donations, you know, being able to help support us grow our organization you know, one of the big issues that we would love to to address is just bringing in more staff in our government relations team. Um, you know, we actually just recently saw um, BlackRock has recently hired a state government relations manager um, to their firm. And we are very much convinced that it is in response to the pushback that we've been giving them on the state uh, and state legislatures this year um, on these ESG mandates. So next year, we're going to have a bigger fight than we even did this year. So any contributions um, are exceptionally well uh, appreciated. And if you want to meet and hear more about kind of what we do um, and, you know, start a conversation, send me an email. We'd love to go and have a uh, a larger discussion about, um, you know, kind of what we do. And um, like I said, mdelesio at heartland.org. Yeah. Now, I met you while you're traveling your way through Monterey. Now, the Monterey was just kind of um, a gas station stop for you. You were going in between Southern California and up in the Bay Area, if I can remember correctly. So, how often does the Heartland... Now, I know what you do in terms of the organization, but do they participate in in other things? Like, I know for our listeners, they've probably heard some of the ads on the Freedom Fest that's coming up in Las Vegas, July 13th through 16th. Um, does, does the Heartland participate in, in those kind of events or not? 
Oh, absolutely. I'll be at Freedom Fest this year. Um, that's just coming up next month, right? It's mid-July, correct? Basically one month from now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So I'll be there. Um, yeah, all, all those those bigger events, you know, we'll sponsor some, but at the very least, um, be in attendance for, for all those events. Absolutely. Are there any events coming up besides the Freedom Fest that um, people might be able to, to meet you or participate or see some of the activity that the Heartland Institute provides? Yeah, so we have, um, I'm not sure if the Dayton speaker are public yet. I know them. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it yet, so I'm not going to. Um, It will be available on our website, um, and you can go and subscribe uh, to emails uh, right at heartland.org. But we have our Liberty Prize happening again this October. Mm -hmm. Um, So if anybody wants to come, you could buy a ticket and join us. It's going to be the same location it was last year, um, right by the Chicago airport. Very easy to get to if you guys wanted to fly in and join us. Um, so subscribe on our website for emails and we'll be sure to reach out and I'll let you know when tickets are available, but we've got a very interesting speaker that we're going to be having this year. And, um, I'm very excited about it. And it's, it's not me audience. So (laughs) (laughs) it's all looking up from there next year. Yeah, no, no, no time soon. But I do look forward to seeing you at the Freedom Fest. I'm going to be there the 13th through the 15th. Then Excellent. I, have to, I have to get back to the uh, California coastline. So w- we've mentioned ESG. We've talked about climate realism. And in 10 seconds, what is the other hit area that the Heartland Institute is concerned about? Because we're running out of time. Yeah, so... Go ahead. So there, there's a lot. I would say the next largest one is school choice. Um, you know, it's great having Glenn Youngkin here in uh, Virginia now. Um, you know, he is he won the election and having an off year election in 2021, he was able to come in and run on that issue. So he's been very good. Um, you know, to uh, help expand school choice in West Virginia, we helped get past the first ever school choice program in West Virginia that covers 95% of students in the state, um, which is an amazing feat. So I would say school choice um, and just education reform in general. Yeah, school choice is very much high on our list here. Well, Matt, I want to say thank you very much. It was a wonderful conversation. We could have gone on longer. And I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas in a month. Thank you, Matt. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening to another edition of Business Sense Radio with your host, Edward King. Be sure to join us again next week at this very same time for another edition of Business Sense Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management.